Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuckaholics? What is happening? How's it going? Where are we at? Round and round we go. Groundhog Day came and went, and you know what? It was no surprise. I mean, if we're thinking about the movie, fucking living it, right? I just saw that on the calendar. It's Groundhog Day, and you're like, oh, yeah, no kidding. So was yesterday. So was last week. So was the day before yesterday that lasted a week. So was the two weeks ago that lasted a year. I don't have any sense of time. How's it going, people? You all right? Stanley Tucci is on the show today. Stanley Tucci. Uh, you know you know Stanley Tucci from Big Night, Devil Wears Prada, The Lovely Bones. He was in Spotlight. He's in a new film called uh, Supernova with Colin Firth that I watched. And uh, it's Stanley Tucci. I was, I was happy to talk to him. That being said, part of the, the weirdness, there's a few things that are going on for me. I mean, I, again, I'm fortunate and grateful that I'm living in a certain amount of comfort that many people cannot have or don't have. And there's a lot of anxiety, pain, fear, destitution, desperation, discomfort, sickness, just the entire spectrum of uh, horrible humanity uh, and things that can happen to people are happening. And, you know, I am grateful and uh, lucky to to have a certain amount of comfort in this time. But the repetition of everything and the the lack of relief from the cycle is a little tricky. And I was talking about it with my friend Megan today about, you know, it's because what do you have to look forward to? I mean, before, even in your life, even if your life was going slow, at least you could think like, well, in three weeks, I'm going to go take that trip to visit my mom or I'm going to, you know, we're going out of town for my birthday or we're going to spend the weekend here. Or we, you know, we've got that meeting in a week and stuff. Now everything is confined to your desktop, to your computer, to Zoom. And no one's really traveling that much. Some people are, but it's not without a, a, a tremendous amount of anxiety and, and protocols and uh, uh, there's nothing casual about anything. And there's just none of those things, those markers. You know, birthdays come and go. People come and go. It, it, it's Everything is happening that happens in life, but now it's in this vacuum of isolation and, uh, and, and pandemic and plague. And it's tricky because the repetition becomes tricky. The patterns become tricky in, in the sense that you do 
and can feel like you're losing your fucking mind. Uh, and it's uncomfortable. And I do, look, I'm in show business and it's fucking bizarre because there, there are times when I'm like, what are we doing? What are we just, what are we doing? Is anybody watching any of this? I mean, you were, I did the Tonight Show a while back from my backyard. And yesterday I did the Tamron Hall show from my dining room. And my production values on my IG Live are the same as major network television shows. And everyone's adapting. Granted, there's some part of entertainment that fortifies denial. That there's a, it's, a, it's a relief. You know, it's like, please entertain me. Get me out of this. Get me out of what I'm feeling. Get me out of every day being the same. Get me out of this panic and fear of getting COVID. Get me out of my financial crisis, out of the possibility, my hopelessness. Please entertain me out of this fucking darkness. That's a tall order. But there is this weird consistency to things. Like I have conversations with management about, you know, movies and about TV ideas and about taking meetings with, you know, network executives. And there's part of me that's like, why? What the fuck is happening? There's nothing happening. Granted, a few things are shooting. There are protocols in place. But it's like, why? What? It, it almost feels like we're lying to ourselves. You know, hopefully we can come out of this and reckon with it, that we'll remember it, that we'll shift our, our priorities, that we'll change our perception of how we live life and what we have to do in the future on so many levels. A great deal of what we're going through now are, are just vestiges of an old way of life that seem sad and empty. The Golden Globes seem sad and empty. You know, I'm nominated for Critics' Choice, which is very exciting, but the award shows, it's almost like we're just acting as if we're going through the motions, going through the motions of what sort of defined our, our sense of information and entertainment before COVID. And it's sad, a lot of it. And it's hard for me not to, to see a lot of what's you know going on, the machinations of show business, of sort of getting back to work stuff that just feels kind of, you know, like out of touch and sad and desperate. But I'm in it. I'm in it. I enjoyed getting up early to do the Tamron Hall show, to do a live segment as a performer about podcasting on television. It's what I used to do. I mean, if it had been the, the real life, the real world that we used to know, I would fly to New York. I would get to the studio. I get hair and makeup. The place would be buzzing. There'd be snacks. I'd have a producer come up to me and a guy with a mic come up to me and everything would be lit and on fire not literally on fire, but just jacked up. An audience would be excited. It would be just all the, the, the fixtures of show business. All the, the uh, bells and whistles are going. And, you know, and then you set up and you get out there and you entertain. You give people a jolt in the morning. It's like morning radio or anything else uh, in morning entertainment. But now this sort of vacuum of it, the faces on the screens, the host in an empty studio. You can hear the fucking footsteps leading of her walking to the to the podium and and then turning on the juice and getting it going and then cutting to me in my living room, hoping my cat doesn't interrupt the thing, hoping that my signal stays live, you know, hoping that you know, I don't you know, I, I look into the right camera. I'm very bad at that. But that's the adaptation I got to make. 
Before, I would have been there an hour and a half early, getting hair and makeup, getting mic'd, looking at the other guests, meeting the other guests, seeing my management team, everybody, a buzz, food, donuts, swag bag. Now, I was literally in bed 20 minutes before. And I put some clothes on, I checked my hair, and I said, well, that's good enough. Not like I look good, I'll put a jacket on, this is good enough. That's show business. That's entertainment followed by crying. But maybe I'm being too dark. Maybe I'm being too negative. Maybe we need it because that repetition of patterns, the landing back where you started every day, the strange drift of time, the not knowing how much time has passed. It does concern me, the human nature right now, because of how jacked we are and how symbiotic we are with the pace of technology that we hold in our hands and with the pace of images flying by and with the pace of how we get information is that we don't hold on to things long enough and that we're willing to let things disappear quickly things just get churned under just into this you know the undertow of a tidal wave of garbage information. There's no way to prioritize things and it gets sucked into the past so far, gets dragged out so far. Something important, something you should hang on to, all of a sudden gets sucked into the undertow and it's miles out, miles out, unable to to wade, unable to paddle, unable to stay afloat and it just disappears. It disappears behind a wall of information garbage. We got to figure out what to hold on to and how to hold on to it again. What's important? What is vital? What is connected now? And I think we all miss just being around people casually without, you know, just seeing eyes above a mask, you know, in different sort of frequencies of panic and anger and fear and discomfort and sadness, desperation, just eyes above masks, peering out for connection. It's rough, man. Hang on. You know? Hang on. Stanley Tucci, uh, everybody loves him. Great actor, great character actor. He's great at being Stanley Tucci as well. He's in the new movie Supernova, which is in select theaters right now and will be on digital platforms starting February 16th. Uh, And we talked. This is me talking to Stanley. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you you get your podcasts.
Tucci. Where are you? I'm in London in my uh, studio. So that's where you live all the time? Yeah, basically, yeah. That's because your wife is British? Yes. And that was the that was the way it landed. You're like, I'm leaving, I'll live there. Yeah, kind of. I mean, you know, she came and lived with me and my kids because my first wife passed away uh, 11 years ago. So we had three kids and um, uh, and then I met Felicity and um, she came and lived with us for two years and then we came, we decided to move here when the kids were, well, they're twins, they're 21 now, so they were... 13 and and um the other one was 11. but you were living where upstate where were you in New yeah York? yeah we, no we were in westchester yeah you did now do you owned a restaurant there right yeah kind of i mean i i owned it but i didn't really have i was a, a, a small owner in it but unfortunately it had my name on it ish <laughs> like but weren't you advised that that was not a great thing to do no, I, I, I sought no advisement, and that was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't know why we all have dreams of owning restaurants. Was your dream that you would, you know, stop in and be like, hey, there's Stanley. Yes, and was, yes, and that I would, yeah. you know, be able to... Throw a sandwich together. there, have parties. It was a friend of mine who was a chef who set it up, uh. and then another fellow who was a dear friend who... You know, he, it was his money, really, and right. and it was ended up being it didn't work. No, I wasn't around a lot either because I had to go. I was away working, and it was it was just a disaster. Did the mob get involved? Certainly not. Good. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I wish they had. Might have been successful. <laughs> you grew up in that area, though, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I did some research on you. You did. Like, in, well, that's nice yeah, of you. In Westchester, right? Yeah, I grew up in um, Katona. It was a great place to grow up. You don't know that when you're a kid, but now you know it. Um, and your folks, like, they were just, uh, what did they do for a living? My dad was an art teacher. Uh, Where? At, uh, at the a high school in a couple towns just south, uh, Chappaqua High School, which was a very wealthy area. So it was, you know. Horace Greeley? Uh, yeah, exactly. My, you know who went there? My first girlfriend went to Horace Greeley. What? And you know who else went there? Pete Berg, the director. You know the director? Did Pete he Berg? really? I didn't know that. They grew up in, yeah, my girlfriend grew up in Chappaqua and she went to Horace Greeley. So like that's part of my past by her, through so, her. So what year are we talking about? Did she go? She to, probably graduated high school in uh, 82, 83. 82, 83. Would your dad have been there? Yeah, actually, he would have, yes, have been close to retiring. And if you, it, what's her name? My father remembers, at the age of 90, he remembers everyone. Her name at that time was Sarah Rubin. Oh, he, oh yeah, he never liked her. Yeah, I, yeah. He, it came up, didn't it? Yeah, it was, he knew. Yeah. Yeah, it was tough. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he's got a short list of students that were terrible. And he, he, I don't know if Pete Berg was in his class, and, but he taught, yeah, hated, taught art. Yeah, hated him. Yeah, he taught art. Yeah. He was the head of the art department. Brilliant, brilliant guy, my dad. Yeah. Did, was he a painter? Painter, sculptor, uh, calligrapher, jewelry maker, pottery, everything. Really? Everything. Taught mechanical drawing, everything. And your mom was what? My mom worked in the office as a, an assistant to the principal. Uh-huh. Uh, but, oh, at the school as well. Yeah, yeah. But uh, could have easily uh, been a professional 
chef. I mean, art, uh, art, not arguably. I mean, one of the greatest cooks I've ever, ever, ever. And not because she's my mother. Right. But the more you travel and then you come back and you taste her food, you go, I don't know how she did that. Really? Where did, now, where did she learn? Are they like first generation, the two of them? Yeah, she learned from her mother. So they were born, my parents were born in America. Um, right. But her parents were born in Italy and my dad's parents. And she learned from, from her mom. So that's where you got your love of it. Yeah. And she really became then an autodidact. I mean, she really just, all she read was, you know, were cookbooks and she taught herself. I love it. I, I fucking love uh, cooking when I'm, uh, especially lately. Uh, my mother was a terrible cook, just oh. awful. So I'm sorry. Could not, was not, was incapable, uh, really. And, uh, had uh, and still does a manageable eating disorder. Oh, so wow. she was. And, well, she was. It, well, it, don't get too concerned. She's okay. She's healthy. All right. But uh, she resented food. But as I got older, you know, I had a, a professor who like taught me. Who not? It wasn't the class, but you know, we became friendly. That you could just learn how to cook. Yeah. Like you can do that. Yeah. And uh, and I love to do it. And it's weird what I'm cooking now. Like I've got this smoker like a suburban smoker oh wow and i i smoked uh like i'm doing jew food because i'm a jew and i smoked uh, my i've been smoking my own fish really yeah what do you yeah. what like what kind of fish i smoked some sturgeon yesterday i brined it i dry brined it in salt garlic powder and sugar Shit. then i let it sit overnight and then i smoked it for like four or five hours basted it with honey put some uh, paprika on it chilled it and ate it this morning for breakfast with some beets and horseradish like a Jew. Man, that's pretty Jewish. Yeah, I mean, and, that, yeah. and I pickled some onions. I made kasha varnish giz the other night. What? I mean, what the fuck? Yeah. Where do you live in Kiev? Or some wait, what? What? Uh, maybe my heart Minsk? does. Minsk? What? Yes. Wow. I love that. <laughs> I made it with schmaltz. Stanley, you did? I made it with. Oh. Yeah. That's so good. I rendered oh. the schmaltz from a bone broth I was making, and I made the fucking kasha with schmaltz and now i get i gained nine pounds in four days good 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 <laughs> what do you what do, what do you go to you're a cook what do you you write cookbooks so like yeah. if you're feeling bad and you want to eat your feelings yeah what do you what do you do i cook comfort food you know i cook right. which uh, ones a lot of pasta i love pasta in varying varying forms i'll yeah, make like, uh, I like pasta with really simple pasta marinara, pasta with uh, tuna and tomato, right? Mm, right. Delicious with lots of onions, super sweet, delicious pasta with peas and tomato carbonara. Mm. I mm. love which I learned how to make properly when I was doing this television show this year and last year, and and uh, pasta today I made. Pasta with uh, cannellini beans, kale, Ooh. kale, yeah, and a little bit of tomato, and some chicken broth. Uh, and it's like a pasta fagiola, sort of. Yeah, but I eat it. Here. I eat it literally practically every day. You know, Do you make or, the homemade pasta, or you buy the? You no, buy we, it we occasionally make homemade pasta, but normally it's a I bit buy of a chore, right? Well, yeah, with two little kids and the thing. No, you can't. No, yeah, no. yeah, they want to make up like shapes and animals. Do you ever do uh, La Matriciana? Yes. 
Yeah, I love it. Do you use the, do you use the guanciale? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Good for you. Yeah. Good for yeah. it's different, right? You could use the uh, the other one, pancetta. The, uh, pancetta. No good. No, no, you well, can't. It's good. It's fine. But once you have guanciale, it's like yeah. it's completely elevated. It's like what is that? How is that so different tasting? Uh, it's fucking. I don't know. Well, it's the jowl. I, I do know it's the jowl, and it's it's also the way the way it's cured, and that yeah. extra sort of thickness of the of the skin and the pepper right. that's put put on top which is the way you should make carbonara with that with the guanciale yeah but it seems like it's not as easy to find as pancetta no no it's it's not easy to find i mean now yeah. now on the internet it's actually easier than it used to be oh they'll send you got you, you got like before the internet you have a you had to have a guanciale guy yeah you you had, the guanciale you to... guy or you had to <laughs> you know make your own guanciale that's the time consuming it's better to have well, the guy yeah 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 but that's sure. the thing about cooking, and like here, like especially in L.A., you never lived here, though, did you? No. Like when I decided, when I get obsessed with a dish, I was dating a woman who years ago who liked bucatini la matriciana. So I got to figure out how to do it correctly, right? Yeah. And I don't even know if she ever had it with guanciale, but I had to go find guanciale in Los Angeles, which turned out was not easy. Was no. not easy. No, because it's not. There's not. I found this every time I've spent time in Los Angeles. There's not a huge number of. Uh, Italian? Italian. No. no, I mean up no. north, there are more. That's true because of right. the, the climate and the yeah yeah yeah, My, very uh, quite different in all the wine yeah. country and the you know it's very There's different. A few up there. But L.A. It was like when I first started going there, four hundred years ago, I was yeah. like you know, where are the Italian delis? Nothing. There's not. No. There's and the ones that are here aren't even that good. You know what's amazing for Italian food and Italian delis? New Jersey. Oh yes, yes, uh, yes. See, I haven't spent a lot of time in New Jersey, but yes, it's a huge, a huge Italian American population. Yeah. Back in the day, you used to be like just driving down the highway. It's like you think that Italian place is any good? Of yeah. course it is. Yeah. It's New Jersey. <laughs> but wait, where are you from? I uh, my, I'm genetically New Jersey. I grew up in New Mexico mostly, but my parents are both from Jersey. My family, they're all Jersey Jews. Jersey Jews, but you grew up in yeah. New Mexico. For yeah, for like you know, third grade through high school. Yeah. Wow, Albuquerque. You ever shoot in Albuquerque? I have. Yeah, which one? I almost shot myself in Albuquerque too. I yeah. Oh yeah. yeah no, I'm kidding. Got uh, yes. No. Well, it was. It was. Yeah. It was tough. Yeah. What yeah. what show? Yeah. I spent a week what? there one night. You know, it was yeah. it's that joke. Um, yeah. No, it was, it was. But there were some nice places. But uh, yeah, no. I, it was a movie I did with um, Kevin Costner and uh, Nathan Lane. Swing vote. You were all stuck in Albuquerque. You and yes, Nathan and Kevin. Yes, but then we ended up moving outside to this nice little um, hotel uh, in the kind of desert, and you had beautiful view of the mountains, and it was quite oh, that's nice. pretty. Yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty. Yeah. It gets a bad reputation. Got a little beat up over time. Wait, so yeah. the first, the big movie, like the first time I remember hearing about you in a big way was the uh, the Big Night movie, which is oh, food-based. Yeah. And you did that with Campbell Scott, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you guys, you talked to him? I haven't talked to Campbell for a long time, no. But we went to high school together. In, in but, Katona? No, we, so we went to John Jay in South Salem. So you guys, you hang out at his house, he hangs out at your house? Yeah. With Was George C. Scott there? No, he was not there. No. Colleen Dewhurst was around. Colleen, yes. Did you act in high school? Yes, uh, Campbell and I acted in high school together, and um, 
Oh, you did? I loved it. I mean, I really loved it. Yeah, we had this really cool guy who was... Right from the get-go. Yeah, he, he this wonderful teacher who was... Uh, he was the music teacher. He was, you know, he um, uh, was the, ran the chorus. He d- did the plays. He was this really wonderful guy who lived in Manhattan and commuted to to Westchester uh-huh. every day. He did the opposite of what everybody else did. And he was a very sophisticated, really, really lovely guy. You know, we did Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead at in our high in school. In high school. Yeah. I mean Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was cool. He was an inspiration. He was just really cool. And at that time, you know, it's the nineteen seventies, you could go it was a, it was an open plan school like most of them were in Westchester. A lot of them were in mm-hmm. Westchester, and so you know you walked outside all the time from class to class, building to building, and you had this beautiful theater uh, in the in the school. But then there was an annex, which was his domain, and the annex was just this separate, cool building where just one room where you did choir practice or you auditioned for plays yeah. or you practice plays or you he did acting classes and he'd bring people in from the community who had been in uh show business and have talks oh, yeah. and yeah this guy was like you know amazing isn't great isn't it amazing like when you think back on that 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 guy just one teacher in your life in your high school should probably change the entire course of your life he did completely and i'll tell you the thing that makes me it's sort of sad now is that uh, if we just look at the architecture of the school, there was a, an openness to it. But there was also an openness to the curriculum and to, right. te- and to teaching. And my father will attest to this, having been an art teacher, that all uh, so much of that has disappeared. Um, yeah. And it's really unfortunate. I visited the school a number of times my and it was heartbreaking because they basically enclosed the school so there was a physical manifestation of what was happening educationally and i found that right. depressing well it's sad you know it's sad what's happened in education in general but i imagine you know in the 70s you know everything that was coming in not only was it more a liberal culture but i mean there was a lot of things changing in approaches to education to theater to film to everything yeah. so if if that guy's down in new york and he's coming up and he's bringing all these new ideas yeah it must have been exciting and to be in high school at that time where your brain is just opening up in the early 70s it must have been just mind-blowing it was it was fantastic i mean like where my dad taught it was this really uh great school and you know they had a, they had a kiln where they would yeah. you know make pottery, the fire thing. They had a jewelry station, this and that. But they had a smoking area. This is the weird part. They had a smoking area yeah. for students yeah. right outside the art room. Right, it's a little dubious. That was like that, that was, was questionable. Dubious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. Since the research had come out in the 1950s, 60s, yeah, yeah. I think what it was is they. I, I think that schools, because you could smoke in my high school outside. Yeah. And I think they were just like, we're not going to stop them. You know, how are we going to stop them? Well, but everybody, everybody fucking smoked. I mean, everybody smoked. I loved it. I'm yeah. so happy. I don't th- I, I don't miss cigarettes, but I, I was on nicotine until just a year or so ago. I was, I, I would really? stay on the, I'd 
do the gum and the lozenges. I just loved it. Did you do the patch thing? No, because yeah. I wanted to feel the high. I did the, I've been on and off the patch, but I like the lozenges. They're like nicotine candies. Oh, really? Did you smoke? I smoked, but I was never a devoted smoker. I, I, I mean, oh. uh, it was something I, I could take or leave. It wasn't... Is there anything that you can't take or leave that was like a problem? Exercise. I'm not kidding. That sounds funny. Exercise and um, martinis. Oh, you like the martinis. I like martinis. Yeah. And pasta. So did you move to New York City to start the career? I mean, did you went to school? You went to college and did the acting? Yeah, I went to, well, I mean, I didn't really go far. I went to SUNY at Purchase, which is, oh, right. excuse me, the State University of New York, because, you know, it was affordable and it was a conservatory and one of the best programs in the in the country because like I said it was a conservatory you had to audition to get in they took 30 students per per year and you were mm. in what was called a company yeah. and you stayed in that company for four years with the same teacher which I'm not so sure was a great idea but luckily right. I had a brilliant teacher so that was, Who was that? fine a guy named George Morrison who used to he was one of the original Second City uh, people, uh, and uh-huh. he ended up having a school with Paul Sills and Mike Nichols uh, in New York after he left Purchase. Really? Mike Nichols? Did yeah. you ever work with Mike Nichols? No, I didn't, And but I knew Mike Nichols, and he had asked me to do a few things, and I couldn't do them, and I was heartbroken because he, if there was one director I wanted to work with, it was Mike Nichols, but... Was that guy? It was the timing of things, or that yeah. it wasn't quite right, or but, right. But I got to know him, and I was uh, even more enamored of him once I met him. What was your first real gig? Mm. Well, I guess I was cast in a—I don't remember—I did like some commercial things or a little thing right. off Broadway or something. But then I did like a Miami Vice. I think was the first. Really? Thing I ever did on television. Like, just playing... It was just like two scenes. I hadn't really experienced America. Uh, So I went to Florida, and I shot there for a few days. It was really weird. And then I ended up going back and played another role as a mafioso. And then I started to do a lot of TV stuff and little roles and movies. And, you know, you know how it goes, all that, you know. Sure. Little. It says here that you were like you did a, a a little bit in Pritzi's honor. Yeah, well, that's not actually true um, because I was supposed to have one line, but it ended up going to um, uh, a friend of Jack Nicholson's. So I was a no, I was a glorified extra. But you were on the set. I was on the set with John Huston. With John Huston, who I think at that point was so old that you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's sort of amazing the career you've had and how many you know how recognizable you are and how much like I feel like I've known you since I was a kid. I feel like we grew up together somehow. Yeah. <laughs> like there he is again, you know. <laughs> it's like, haunting me. Yeah. But it's but it's interesting the kind of career that you have is the career of a guy that works. Yeah. Do, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like when you got into the racket I mean, what was your plan? What, did you think you were going to be doing primarily theater? or What, what were you thinking as an actor or, or that you just wanted to do stuff? I just wanted to work. And I, I, I really just wanted to work doing it all. You yeah. know, at the, at the time when I started, so 1982, I got out of college, 
you know, there was that very clear division between you're a theater actor, you're a television actor, you're a film actor. Mm-hmm. And it was an unfortunate um, division. It was a uh, snobbiness to it, right? Yeah, it was, it was weird. It was weird and yeah. wrong. Now, yeah. that has all disappeared, thank God. But, you know, the British never did that. The British always went back and forth. You did TV, right. you know, sure. you did a play, you did a movie, then you went back and did the thing, and blah, blah, blah. And you did a radio play. You just did it's it. Small, it's, a, it's a smaller business there. It's a smaller business, but it's a healthier business. Sure. And now I think America is finally, and it was it was it was HBO that really changed everything. HBO, uh-huh. to me, once they started doing their original films, uh, there became this this crossover. You know, it's not TV; it's HBO, but it actually is TV. But it's really cool, and yeah. they were putting money into projects and casting people who weren't huge movie stars in movies of significance and they were taking scripts that that peep that studios wouldn't buy and they would make them into movies and they were really fucking good and i think that changed the landscape and and that's why we have what we have now which i think is a much much healthier landscape but it seems like you were always sort of like moving back and forth between all of them as yeah well. because um, i had to work you know i had to make money and also you know i wasn't a leading man i was an actor were you ever disappointed about that yeah i mean i'd give anything to look like marcello mastriani but you know that's never gonna <laughs> happen <laughs> i'd love to look like ryan reynolds that's uh-huh. not happening yeah you, so you just had to accept. You had to accept. Uh, you have to make do with what you have. Murder One was sort of a big deal, right? Yeah, that was a big deal. Yeah, that put you on the map. In some ways, yes, I guess. Yeah, it did. I did it because I thought it was really cool. But of course, yeah. you never knew what was going to happen. It was a very unusual structure. It's a structure yeah. that we know now very well. But what Stephen did at the time, people were like, "We love the show," but nobody watched it. But it 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 coincided with. Uh, me doing um, Big Night and um, and the two of them sort of sort of came out at the same time and and it was you know it it was it did shift things significantly for me but then uh, like show business is it it goes like this yeah yeah (laughs) yeah Well, I mean, it's good that you take that in. You, you know, you've worked with a lot of the a lot of great directors. I have. I've been very lucky. I mean, you know, when you look at, uh, like, even working with Alan uh, uh, Pakula um, on oh, in the Pelican the Brief, Pelican Brief, like that was it. Yeah, I was so excited to work with him um, because he made some of you know these iconic films that I grew up with. I think particularly All the President's Men. Well. It's still arguably one of the greatest American movies ever made. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's great. And yeah. Parallax View, I think he did, too, it, right? Yeah, he did. It, extraordinary. And I talked to... I got to know um, Redford through 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 Sundance. And yeah. I used to go and advise at the lab and everything. And, uh-huh. and I told him, like, that is... It's just one, and he, you know, he produced the movie too. Yeah, and it's right. one of the greatest movies ever made, and it still holds up. And I watch it. Yeah, I watch it all the time. 
I, I watched it recently too. It's great. It's extraordinary. Those shots. I mean, he has that shot with Redford where he's talking on the phone, uh-huh. and and the camera pushes in. And it's I timed it once. It's a five and a half to six minute shot. And really, yeah. And you don't even. The brilliance of Alan Pakula was you had no idea that the camera was even moving. And it was Gordon yes. Willis, I think, who shot it. So so the camera's just pushing him before you know it. Yeah. All the guy's doing is talking on the fucking telephone. Right. And it is so compelling. And then it's over and you realize that's a solid six minutes that you've watched. Right. And you end up here from, you know, way back here. So cool. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that the movie that you were in and you were great in with that Spotlight movie, which I watched again oh, recently. Oh, I love that movie. Well, that's a similar type of movie. Yeah. It, you know, because it's one of these things where you're you're unfolding, you know, an insidious conspiracy and the action is really about the characters, you know, the learning of, you know, the unfolding, the unfolding right? Like, it, it's not an action movie, oh, but God. your character was so great. That was such a great role for you. I was so honored to be asked to do it. I love Tom McCarthy. Yeah. I, I think he's so talented and I knew him a little bit. Um, and when he asked me and I read it, I thought, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And no, that's one of those movies where you're like, you know, you, you, there's, you, you'll do whatever you can to, to do it. They don't, they don't even have to pay you. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Just do it. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Just do it. Yeah. And that part was so great. You know, the, this, the, the, the kind of aggravation and the sort of acceptance of 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 you know the plotting work yeah of a, yeah. Of a guy you know where, who is up against all odds but yeah. continues on and he's still at it he's still doing it How, what's his name is the real guy mitchell garabedian uh and i did not meet him before because it was suggested that i not meet him uh Why? because he's quite contentious uh okay. and at one point there was, they were like, we think he might sue us. We don't know what's happening. Oh. And I was like, well, why would he do that? He's like basically like the hero of the film in a way. Um, and then he saw the movie and he loved it. And, and I met him briefly at the premiere and he was so nice. And then we talked on the phone a couple of times. And, you know, he's, he's really, um, but that's an extraordinary person. Who does stuff that's like so, that? That's so interesting that he was... He didn't trust. No. The, yeah. No. And that's... Why would he? But that's... Why would he? Why would yeah. you Why would you trust Hollywood? Right. I don't. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you weren't concerned in that part. Like, your version of him was your version. Yeah. I, I did what I could to... Yeah, I, what I did was I was able to find some stuff on um, YouTube of him talking and, you know, n- you know, news reports and things like that. So I was able to use that and then, but not, you know, it's always hard, too, if you're doing an accent, any kind of accent, but a Boston accent, you know, there's... It's tricky. Yeah, it's tricky and you don't want to go too far, so... I tried to just pull it back a little bit because sometimes if you do it, even people who have Boston accents, you go, "Come on, pull it back." Yeah, Come yeah, on, it's yeah too much. take it easy. Don't yeah, do yeah. that. You know, Matt Damon, <laughs> stop it. Yeah, yeah, you know, stop it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you do, do you work with a dialect coach generally? Yeah, if I if I feel that it's that I need it, yes. 
Oh, I tried to do uh, one thing. I did a thing here, when I, like a year after I moved here, called Fortitude, which was this series for Sky Atlantic. And it was really interesting. Uh, and I did it because it was a wonderful role, but also there was Sophie Grabol, who's that great uh, uh, Danish actress, and Michael Gambon, yeah. arguably like one of my, my favorite actors ever. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, yes, yes, yes. And uh, the character was written as Scottish. So I said, okay, yeah, I'll give it a shot. So I asked this um, dialect coach to come in, whom I think I had met briefly, but it was a very, she's brilliant. Uh, and you know, we had friends in common and my sister-in-law had worked with her and blah, blah, blah. So she comes over to my house. We start to read through it. We work for 20 minutes. And I go, this is a terrible idea, isn't it? She goes, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I said, okay. So then I have to call the producers and go, um, I think, look, I tried this. I'm sorry. I don't want to compromise um, the show or my yeah. career. So I think maybe let's just do British. And then I couldn't figure out what kind of British to do. Uh, so yeah. I was like, you know what? I think he's American. And they went, yes, I think that's fine. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Thank They're God. Celebra Thank God. <laughs> celebrating and, at yeah, the producer's actually, office. Actually, why did we come to this guy in the first place? You know. Yeah, dialects are scary, man. Yeah, scary. And some of them, it's fine. Some of them, it's easy. And others, yeah. you know, I remember Matt Damon saying that the... You know, when he did Invictus, that right. it was one of the hardest dialects. He said he worked for six months or, or more. Was that like, with South African? Yes, South which African? is incredibly, I find stuff like that incredibly difficult. Australian. Someone someone suggested in a movie that <laughs> they were like, could you, could, you, could you be Australian? I was like, no. <laughs> Why? No. Get, get an I mean, Australian. If I were born Australian, yeah, but yeah. yeah. No. What's the most challenging one you think you pulled off? Uh, you know, oddly enough, a lot of times an Italian accent is hard yeah. because <clears throat> Italian. There's a lot of variations within it because Italian has so many different dialects and yeah, <clears throat> pronunciations of words and things like that. Um, so there are times, even when I hear my own Italian accent, yeah. I go, I go, oh, no, <laughs> no, good. it is a bed. Bad. It's a bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How do you feel about doing stage work? Do you, you? It doesn't seem like you do a ton of it, but you enjoy it. Yeah, I haven't done it since I directed a play uh, about ten years ago, nine yeah. years ago on Broadway. That I, I love, loved that experience. Prior to that, I had done a lot of theater, um, uh, but the last play I did was Frankie and Johnny and the Claire de Lune. Um, uh, and it just about killed me in every way. And really? Yeah, and after that, I, I didn't have a great... I was, you know, there were, there were too many reasons why uh, it, it almost killed me, but I, I, I no longer longed to go on stage like I once did after that. And it's strange because I've been very lucky enough to be offered a lot of, you know, great roles here in England and in America and 
but I don't have that yearning as much as I used to. What makes it challenging? Well, I think if I can do a short run, that's fine. But I feel like after you've done a play, you've rehearsed a play, you open up, you do like five weeks. After five weeks, I I think you want to leave a play on an inhale. Yeah. And I always see actors leave plays on an exhausted exhale. And, and And I can see that in performances often sure and well yeah i I mean i can't imagine doing it every day matinee on sunday No, you're talking about eight shows a week and it's brutal it's it's brutal and people think oh you only work three hours a night or whatever two hours a night you start by three o'clock in the afternoon your mind is going to your performance right right and you you go by the time you go to sleep it's one o'clock in the morning you have to sleep until 10. Otherwise, yeah. you won't, You got to work out or yeah. whatever. Right. And then do your business and see your kids and do, do whatever. But the thing is, you never see your kids. You don't have dinner with them. You can't pick them up at school. You can't, you know, put them to bed. And you cannot wake up with them in the morning. So it just eats your entire yeah, life. Yeah, and people think, oh, it's the most sort of regular lifestyle. It's like, it's the opposite. Of, uh, of of a normal lifestyle, more almost more more than film. Oh no, I, I much more I, yeah, than but film. It, well, but well, with film, most of the time you're sitting around waiting for lighting. Oh, please, you, <laughs> you, you know, and then you know you you don't have you you once you get the hang of it. I don't know what your process is, but you know you kind of memorize, you know, scene for scene or day by day. I mean, with a, with a play, you got to cram all that shit in your head. Right, right. And, you, and then oh it's there, and it's there. Once it's there, it's there. And then, But I always believe that after five weeks, people start inventing things simply uh-huh. to invent things, either <laughs> to entertain themselves, uh, yeah. the, the people they're playing opposite, yeah. and, or they just start going, you know what? I think I can get a laugh on this. <laughs> If I do this, which then throws off the whole balance of the thing. I think if you don't like the thrill of it every night, do you know what I mean? Yeah. If you can't, like, I, who did I talk to? David Harbour. I, David Harbour, I talked to him. He, he said one of the funniest things about, like, you know, that, that panic, you know, yeah. right before you go on stage oh, yeah. Yeah. where you don't think you know your lines. Right? Yeah. He, said, he says he's like, five seconds before he goes on stage, he's like, someone give me a fucking script. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I still have dreams. I have dreams. Yeah. I had one the other night about going on stage and not knowing my lines and not, you know, or like I'm not dressed properly or, (laughs) you know, it's just pathetic. Still, still. Oh, my God. It's haunting. It is. But I know I'll do it again. I want to do it again. It just has to be the right circumstance, you know. Now, this, I watched the, uh, I watched the new movie, Supernova. Oh, oh. And I enjoyed it. It was very, it was heavy to me. Yeah. How well do you know Colin? Well, I know him really well. We've known each other for 20 years. Oh, really? So you guys were friends going into this a long time. Yeah, yeah. I asked him to do it. The director sent me the script. I loved it. I thought, well, the only person I can think of of the appropriate age uh, uh, who's a brilliant actor and one of my closest is Colin 
So I asked him, I slipped it to him, and he read it, he goes, my God, it's beautiful. I said, I know. And then we did it, and then we switched roles. Because I was supposed to play the other role, he was supposed to play my role. And then- Oh, at, really? Yeah, and then at one point, Colin, Colin said, um, Stan, I think we should, we should switch. And I said, you know, I, I have been thinking the same thing. Because every time I read it, I was like, it doesn't, something doesn't feel right. The rhythm, my, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm more comfortable saying, and Colin's the one who brought it up. Anyway, uh, we told Harry, this poor director, who looked at us like, oh God, have I made a huge mistake. <laughs> Um, you know, with these two old, these two alta cacas coming yeah. going. We want to switch roles. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. by the way. Uh, but he had both of you. What did he say? Yeah, no, no he said, he said, um, all right, well, let's read it both ways. Yeah. So we did. Just a few scenes. And it was very evident. We basically auditioned for Harry for the yeah. opposite roles. So you you play a couple and you are in the the beginning stages of Alzheimer's. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah, a little even, yeah. More, even more so. Yeah. Like, er, I thought er, that early like, onset Alzheimer's, yeah. Early onset Alzheimer's. So what did you do to prepare for that as an actor? How did you define because like I think what was most interesting about your characterization of of that was the fight against it. That, you know, the pride you know, that, that occurs, mm. you know, when somebody is, you know, because you were much further along than even you, you let on to the audience of me watching it. You know, you don't really know how yeah. far along you are until he, you know, looks at your writing, right? Yeah. And that's the beauty of Harry's script. I mean, it was all there in the writing, really. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. And then Harry gave me his research and I watched... Uh, documentaries and read stuff about it. We met with the doctor who worked with people. Uh -huh. um, and that was all I needed. So what what did you focus on, you know, to sort of drive the way your brain would work in the role? I mean, how did you do that for yourself? It was really about, yeah, it's about absence, really. Uh -huh. As we all get older, you walk into the pantry or you walk into the... Yeah. Yeah, whatever room and you go right why did I walk into this room right now just take that and expound it what a terrible feeling yeah but then be lost yeah suddenly you're looking at someone or you're looking at this is a particular kind of early onset where it affects uh, the way you see so if you look at a piece of paper with writing on it, you cannot discern what that writing is. Mm. So you have to figure it out. Yeah, it's so it's so sad and brutal. And like it's I don't brutal. Want to give, yeah, they give away the the sort of turn in the film. But I guess so you know, for you guys to play uh a couple, I mean with all those years of friendship, I mean uh, it must have been interesting in terms of uh, getting closer. Yeah. Yes, it was. It wasn't It wasn't what we expected. In, in what sense? I mean, you guys are both straight guys. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's sort of like, hey, pal, we're going to we're going to kiss a little bit. And uh... but, you know, 
you feel safe with that person, right? Because you know them, because they're like, they're your best friend, one of your best right. friends. And, you know, and you're willing. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was more hirsute than I expected, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and uh, did it, did it bring you closer, or were you? Definitely. Did you need a break? Break? Did you need a break no, from no, each other? No, 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 no. <laughs> it definitely brought us closer. We were close already, and then it just brought us closer. What's well, it is sort of a beautiful movie. I've seen a couple of films lately that kind of move at at a pace that you know doesn't overexplain everything. You know, and I I thought that the way the script revealed the elements of the relationship and of the disease was 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 very you know moving and it's 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 heavy you know you i you know you wonder like i i, I like the movie but like you, you know when you when you make a film like that as beautiful as it is it's so painfully sad and you wonder like you know like what is an audience supposed to to do with that and it's really just to appreciate the poetry of love i guess you know yeah i think so and also that what you know, I think part of the reason film or theater or any art form exists is, you know, to hold the mirror up to life. But right. But also, which means if you do that, um, you know, an audience feels like they're not alone. Yeah, and and right. that yeah. that there is a, an understanding, a universal understanding of love and loss. And I think particularly in this film, because it's not just a guy and a girl, you know, a handsome right. guy and a pretty girl. It's like right. two older guys. Yeah. The whole thing isn't what we would expect. And yet and yet what the the <clears throat> what those people are experiencing is what everyone experiences. No matter what your gender, no matter what your uh, uh, sexual uh, preference or orientation doesn't matter. Political yeah. orientation doesn't matter. Right. Love is love, and loss is loss. And and one of those is guaranteed in life. There you go. Yeah, I I mean I I understand that, and and also it does not, it does not culturally we don't really acknowledge it as probably as much as we should. That there there. There's it's it's so common, you know, losing people, losing your mind. <laughs> I mean, it's like, and, and it's like when it happens to you, as as it happened to you, uh, with your with your wife, and like I I lost somebody recently. Yes, I know. Really, I'm sorry. Yes, but that was the first time I I you know like somebody that I I loved, and and like was died tragically. Like I, but every. But almost everyone experiences that. Yes. And you don't really know what to do with it. And people no. don't necessarily know what to do with it either. No. And I think, listen, in, depending upon your situation, your socioeconomic situation, your, the country you're living in, you can experience that profound loss uh, again and again and again. Or... Rarely. I mean, if we look at Syria, right? if you look yeah. at, you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's happening every minute of every day. And the, the extreme loss. I can't imagine. Yeah, can't. we can't. We can't imagine. We you lose our climate. Of yeah, of uh, a climate of loss. And, and but like, it's interesting, though, that you bring up absence, because that's what like. 
that's what becomes really hard to understand is that, you know, somebody was here and now you live with their absence for the rest of your life. And it's, it's almost active and it's always there, yeah. you know, that, you know, that, that, that absence, like you grieve, you move through things, your heart heals, you know, your mind heals, maybe you move on, but like that absence is so, is so profound because all possibilities are gone, you know? It's, yeah, it's, it's, well, which means that your heart doesn't heal, your mind doesn't heal, and that you don't move on. <laughs> yeah. You never so, do. The, well, then what happens? You mean you just you compartmentalize it? Yeah. 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 And you have to in order to heal and move on. Right. But... but yeah, you 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 integrate it. You accept it. That that old Jewish thing, you know, the the idea of may her memory be a blessing is really a, a great thing. Yeah, it's, that's it's, that's beautifully put. Yeah, it's like it, it, and that it ultimately it's the only way you can look at it. You know, it's you know you 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 have to get past regrets or 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 self pity or any of that and just sort of like what a gift it was. Yeah, how do you how do. Uh, the people who went through the Holocaust, who were sent to Auschwitz, who lost children in Auschwitz, and then survived themselves, then went on to live their lives, have another family. Yeah. How and function yeah. fully? How? How do you lose a child? In not just lose a child, but lose a child in that way. Uh, and continue your life. I don't know. I guess what choice do you have? You have a choice, but who does that serve? What it, right? I, you know, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting that, like, you know, in your life as an actor, you know, you've played some pretty m real monsters. Mm. You know, when you do, you are you able when you approach those roles, like even playing, you know, Eichmann or the the the, mm. the murderer in the uh, what was that the lovely bones yeah. lovely bones do you have to detach your empathy entirely i mean how does how do you look at life through the eyes of those characters the only way you can look at it is that they were human beings the monsters we think of them as monsters but they were human beings right right so yeah. there's um i talked about this recently with someone that the um playing Eichmann. Eichmann yeah. was, you know, they found him in Argentina, right? Mossad got him in Argentina. The Mossad agent, you know, had him in a room for a couple of days. And, and though he wasn't supposed to, he started talking to him and asked him a whole bunch of questions. He said, well, how could you kill all those people? How could you facilitate that? How could you? And he said, you know, well, you know, that was my job. That's what I was supposed to do. Right. And he said, but what about the children? He said, no, I love children. And when they found him, he was playing with his children hmm. in his house in so Argentina. So he was able to detach because and, of ideology. Yeah, and what he said was, they said, he said, but yeah, you love children. He said, but what about all the children you sent to their deaths? He said, well, they were Jewish. Right. So what kind of mind is that? Horrendous. Right. So he cries talking about children, and yeah. then he justify, justifies killing children by saying they're Jewish. 
Talk, talk about a disconnect. Well, that's the brain fuckery of, you know, we, you see it here. It turns out it's, it's a lot easier to make people think of other people as, uh, uh, as, 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 other pe- as others. Fucking horrendous. Yeah. But I did want to say this before we go is that uh, I've watched, um, I, I have a guilty, uh, uh, the devil wears Prada is a, a strange guilty pleasure of mine that I've somehow uh, mine watched too. Yeah. so many times. <laughs> Yeah, like, and I just love that movie. I love those women. I loved you in it. That Thanks. must have been the greatest time. It was, you know, you know. Sometimes you do a movie and you're like, yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you want to just. You're like, oh, when's my last day? You know. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and with that movie, when I didn't want it to end. When it ended, my when my work ended, uh-huh. uh, I was just sort of hanging around and we were having wine and stuff on the set with uh, David and everybody and then I just didn't want to leave. I don't know I don't know what it is. Uh did you so is that is that where is that how you met your wife, your current wife? Well, yeah, I mean I was married and Kate, and Kate was alive. We actually we found out um just before I did that movie that she had breast cancer. Um, so I did the movie and she started treatments and then, uh, you know, we had the premiere and then, you know, she was alive for four more years after that. Uh, and, um, it was, yeah, but that's where I, I met Emily. Right. Uh, and we became friends and actually Felicity, Emily's sister, my wife, uh, she and Kate talked at the premiere that night um, uh, and I have a photo of them together, uh, which is so odd. And then many years later, I ended up marrying Felicity. And you have children with both? Yes. Uh, uh, Kate and I had three kids and um, Felicity and I had two. Five kids? Yes. Oh, so you've got young kids now. Yes. I have a two and a half year old and a six year old. And then wow. I have twenty-one-year-old twins uh, and a nineteen-year-old. Everybody get along? So far, so good. <laughs> From time to time, yeah. There's always, you know, but yeah, yeah, it's okay. And how are you? Uh, how are you holding up with the uh, with the plague? You all right? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, this is the second lockdown. I experienced symptoms last March. You did? Uh, yeah. Um, but it, they were they were minor. Um, so and, you got it. Yeah. And then I had the antibodies at one point, and then they don't show up again. Huh. Uh, but I lost my sense of taste and smell for five days, as oh. did all of my older children. Felicity never had any symptoms. Did she uh, get it too, though? No, we don't know. Oh yeah. She know. always shows up negative. So oh. um, I think that. Uh, you know, I hope I'm not being naive, but I feel like, uh, according to the science, that there are antibodies that exist in you, even if they don't show up in, in the tests. Mm. Um, so, so far, so good. And this lockdown, this time, we're just more acclimated to it. We're just more used to it. Have you so worked during the... Uh... I have I have been so busy, that's the weird part of it. On uh, sets? Yeah, I worked in Italy shooting two more episodes of this uh, documentary series for CNN. 
I I then went to Spain and did a six episode thing for television. So I was gone for two and a half months in the fall. Uh, during the first lockdown, I wrote the first draft of a memoir, um, like a my life through food food memoir uh, for with recipes. For yes, with some recipes with uh, for Simon and Schuster. And, and now during the second lockdown, I finished the second draft uh and you know we've been working on the edit for the so and i'm gonna go do something here in in london um starting in march so so what, what do they got the zone system masks it's masks you'll be tested in spain i was tested once a week here i'll be tested every i'll be tested five times a week right That's, yeah, yeah i did a and it's all very careful you're in these bubbles and so Production is moving ahead, which is great, and they're incredibly cautious, and so far so good. Great. So how now? So the cookbook thing that you did a cookbook before it sold pretty well. Yeah, yeah, I did one a long time ago. I put it together for my parents. Then we re-released it uh, years later because it went out of print. Um, <clears throat> and then Felicity and I did a cookbook together about. Six years ago. You're, so your dad's still alive? Both your folks alive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No kidding. Yeah. My mother tested positive for COVID. Yeah? I said, I said how are you all right? She goes, yeah, I'm fine. I mean, it, I can't. What is it? And my what father tested negative. You know, I don't know. He's 90. <laughs> you can't kill them. I swear, yeah. you can't kill them. You when know? did you live in Italy? I lived in Italy when I was um, 12 and 13. Was it like a sabbatical? Exactly. Changed your life? Changed my life. Mm. Completely. It was so cool. Where? What part? Everybody spoke Italian. Yeah. Uh, Florence. Do you speak Italian? I speak Italian, but but corruptly. You know, yes. it's just you know, it's. I, I started taking lessons again uh, when I was going to do the series, and um, it's been very helpful. Florence is the best. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And it's so beautiful, you know. I mean, you can still, you're, you can walk. A lot of those streets have been around for just hundreds and hundreds of years. It's amazing. Stunning. Stunning. And it's tiny, you know, it's tiny. And I, I really like that. And the cars are tiny. The roads are tiny. Everything's are tiny. tiny. Everything's tiny. Except now, for the mean, cathedrals. Yes. Only the cathedrals are massive. Right. Right. Massive. Yeah. The power of God. Yeah. Well, uh, I love talking to you. Likewise. This is a real pleasure. Uh, nice. No, I feel like I'm not even doing like a podcast or something. No, no, you're just, I'm just well, talking. You're so easy to talk to. How come I haven't well, known you before? I don't know. I'm around when you come. You know, we'll right. hang out at some All right. point. All right. <laughs> it was it was a pleasure, and I'm a big fan of the work. Well, and take care of likewise. yourself. Thank you. You too. Stanley Tucci. We had a nice talk. He was loose. It was good. Yeah, the movie is called Supernova. It's in select theaters right now. We'll be on digital platforms starting February 16th. All right, I just, I'm getting sloppier with the guitar. Clearly. Clearly sloppier. But that's not going to stop me. Not going to stop me.
Boomer lives. Monkey and LaFonda. Cat angels everywhere. <laughs>